Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to the book of James, please. James, the fourth chapter, page 1013, if you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats. James introduces, it seems to be almost a new topic here. Uh, If you've gotten to know the, the, the lay or the feel of this book, you know, there are many times when James is writing through here, he, he introduces new topics and he hits them real quick and hits them real hard. Uh, this is a, a, a book that James, he's, it seems like he's very passionate in his writings and some of the words he uses. He uses uh, some humor and some uh, sarcasm in the book. And, and here when we come to verse 13 of chapter 4, we see that he, he's, we've talked about conflict, we've talked about you know, getting through that and, and, and ways to, to live this life, this Christian life, in a practical, everyday manner. And then he gets to verse 13 here of chapter 4, and, he, and he's, he's setting up a tone that he's going to, or, or a topic that he's probably going to uh, deal with a little bit more in chapter 5. When we get there next week, we'll start there. But um, it's, it's an interesting a text, and I hope it's helpful to us this morning. Verse 13 says this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So here's our text that lays before us this morning, that I hope that as we wade through it, it would find uh, it will prove to be beneficial to how we live our lives each day. You can see on the screen that the title of the message is, Are You a Practical Atheist? Now, I don't know if you've considered this question before. You've heard this term before. This is a term that has been used throughout history, uh, particularly in the Puritan writings, of, of this idea of, of practical atheism here. So Stephen Charnock, I put this quote on, on the screen, he said this, Men may have atheistical hearts, without atheistical heads. The reasons may defend the notion of a deity while their hearts are empty of affection to the deity. This is what is meant by a practical atheist. Someone who intellectually would agree that there's a God. Someone who would argue for the existence of God. Someone who would believe that God is and that God is even sovereign over the earth. It would be someone who would say that they would not debate the fact of whether or not God has, has, uh, 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 is a reality and that we have a, even a responsibility to that God. But a practical atheist is someone who agrees with all that, but in their heart, there's little to no affection for that God. The way they live their lives each day shows little affection for the God that they would argue for intellectually. 
And I believe that this is what James is getting at here. And, you know, we read verses like Psalm 14.1 where it says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. In his heart, he says that there is no God. So what is James getting at here? James, he's saying that there are people who are making plans. There are people who are living their lives, and they are doing it void or devoid of God. It reminds me of Titus chapter 1, verse 16, where it says, They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. The verse continues to say they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So let's explore this topic of practical atheism this morning. Let's take a look at this and see, is this something that is true in our own hearts? Because I believe that each one of us struggle with atheism to a degree. Now you say, well, wait a minute here. I, I, am, I am dead convinced that God exists, and so I am not one who says there is no God. Well, I understand that, and I believe that too, but I know that there is a practical atheism that is constantly warring against my soul. A way for, there's, there's a desire in my heart to act as if there is no God, or to say no God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And so this morning, let's, let's explore this. We have three points. The first is this, as you're taking notes, the assumption of practical atheism. What is the assumption of practical atheism? What we see in the text here is that we assume that we have the right to choose how to spend our time. He says, come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city uh, or such and such a town and spend a year there and trade to make a profit. Now, James is not against planning here. He's not saying don't make future plans. He's not saying don't plan out your life or don't make a, a, a plan for what you're going to do tomorrow or the next day. He's not against, you know, Stephen Covey's planner where you list, you know, all what you're going to do the next day and you have your A1 or A2 or B1 or B2. Anyone ever used Stephen Covey's stuff before? I knew you would raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. One other person. Okay. So I am speaking a foreign language to most other people here, but it's a planning way. It's a way to plan your day and, and you organize what's most important and things like this. You know, James is not against that. That's not what he's, he's, he's speaking against here. What he is speaking of is that the assumption that we have the right to choose how we spend our time with no interaction to God or with no, with no thought of how God will want us to spend our time. It says today or tomorrow we will go and spend a year there. They were assuming that they would go, uh, they're assuming when they will go and where they will go and how long they will stay. And so I wonder, as we look at our own lives, as we look at how we choose to live our lives, I wonder how many times we make plans with the assumption that it is our right to do so without consulting our Maker. How many plans do we forge? How many ideas do we stoke in our minds without going to God? And saying, God, is this what you want? So the assumption of practical atheism is that my life is my own and and I can do what I want with. My time is my time. I can do whatever I want with it. Whereas the Christian should realize that that is not true. The time that God has given to us is just that. It's a gift. And it's to be used for a very specific purpose. Sometimes when we give a gift to someone, there's, there's there's an attachment to it that it's use it for this. Sometimes it's inherent, sometimes it's explicit. If someone gives you a car, it's, a, it's an inherent attachment to it, a reason to it, that that will be used for transportation on a road, not in water, okay? 
There's, there's inherent attachments given to gifts and saying, okay, I've given this for this purpose, so use it for this purpose. If you gave someone a car, a new car, and then you find out that they tried to make it into a jet ski, you're thinking, man, I just wasted this. I should have given it to someone who had used it properly. Or sometimes that there's explicit uh, attachments given to gifts. You give someone money and say, okay, here's money for this bill. Or I know you want to buy a house, and so here's money to help you with a down payment. Or you are seeking to adopt, and here's money to help with that. Or, or whatever the case may be, and so you give with attachments. And if you find out that they've taken your gifts and they've used it completely for something else without discussing it with you first, you would feel abused, would you not? You'd feel unappreciated. Because they've used something that you gave them with other intentions or or for other purposes than what you intended for. I wonder, our time, God's given us time. He's given us our lives and he's given us to us for a purpose. And that purpose is to bring glory to God. And so I wonder, I wonder how many times, how many decisions we make every day of how we spend our time with no thought of God at all. That's practical atheism. That's an assumption that my time is my own and I can do whatever I want with. A second assumption is that we assume that we have the ability to do whatever we want. We will trade and we will make a profit. They were assuming that they will do and and what they will do and they were assuming that they knew what the outcome would be. They didn't know that there would be a profit. They went and and trade. These are are, uh, marketing terms here that it was uh, was the idea, or merchant terms rather, that that it was that they would go and they would do this. They would go on this journey. They would spend a year there and they would trade and they would make money. And this was a a, a plan that they had forged without even, according to, we're going to find out later on in the context here, that they had not even considered God's plan on this. Again, business ventures aren't necessarily wrong. Saying that you're going to go and, and serve here or go and take this job or relocate here is not necessarily a bad thing. But when we detach it from our view of God and, and what God has given to us and, and an idea of what would God have me to do with this, it boils down to practical atheism. And my fear is that there are many Christians who they would, have, they would fight for the theological truth of the existence of God. They would argue for the existence of God. They would know the verses to quote. They would know Romans 1 and Psalm 19, and they would say, just look around and you can see nature, and it points to God, and you would look at the complexities of the human eye, and you would know all these, uh, 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 all these arguments and say, there's no way that this could happen just by chance. So they would combat that notion of atheism. But the way they live their lives every day of the week would be more of a practical atheism. Not even a recognition of God's existence. And I know that my own heart is prone to that. So I pray that this morning we were convicted by that if this is true. You know, they thought that they had the ability to do whatever they wanted to do. This is the American dream, right? This, 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 is, this is ingrained in our culture, in this country, of that you can be whatever you want to be, Right? I mean, this is, this is what people often talk about. The beauty of America is that, that you can become something. I mean, you're, you don't have to be born into a certain class of family or something like that. You can rise up, I mean, and, and become successful and all that. And, and to a certain level, I get what they're saying, but I, I, I get very nervous when I hear particularly Christians talking that way because it's only with God is going to direct that. It's only if God is going to allow that. If only if God is going to move in that way and provide for that. And so when we, when we say that we're a self-made man or a self-made woman, 
and we're forgetting the, the impact that God has in that, that's a very dangerous place to be, and it's practical atheism. In the 60s, I'm told that there was a popular song. I like to say I'm told because it reminds many of you that you're much older than me. Um, I'm told that in the 60s, I think it was 1965, one of the most popular songs that wasn't written by, uh, I, I can't, it was written much earlier, but the song was, it's my party and I will cry if I want to, right? You know, how many of you know the song? Raise your hand. Okay. All right. Okay. So no one knows Stephen Covey, but everyone knows <laughs> it's my party. I'll cry if I want to. Okay. That's good. All right. And so, so there's a, Stephen Covey would be proud, you know, <laughs> but, uh, um, okay. So, so. There's this song, right? And, and apparently, you know, I, everyone knows the, the, the chorus to it, right? And everything. Apparently the song is about a girl who's at the school dance. And Johnny, her boyfriend, is uh, basically, you know, standing her up and, and starting to dance with and, and goes out with Judy. And, um, and so this, this unknown, unnamed person singing the song uh, is saying, hey, it's my party, but I'll cry if I want to. Okay, you guys dance, you play my records, you do everything, but I will cry if I want to because it's my party. I can do what I want. Well, guess what? This life is not our party. <laughs> and we can't do what we want to do. You and I don't have that right to dictate and say, my life is my life, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do with my life. If the Christian says that, they're succumbing to practical atheism. They're saying that I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of what God wants me to do. Now, no one's going to say that. No, no, no one's going to articulate that, or at least I don't think so in this room. People aren't going to say, you know what? I don't care what God wants me to do. I am going to do this. Now, maybe someone has said that. But think about how we go through our decision-making process. Think about how we make decisions. Think about what motivates us to buy this or sell that or go here or take this vacation or whatever the case may be. Is God in that equation? If not, we're just practical atheists. And so the assumptions that we make here are very, very serious. The vocations and vocations and studies and careers, all that falls under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So we need to ask ourselves this question. What is different about how I approach my job or my responsibilities or my vacation or whatever it is what is different about how I approach that than my unbelieving coworker or unbelieving neighbor? How do I approach life in a different way than my next-door neighbor who does not claim to be a Christian? You know, a lot of times we think that it's more, we, we receive more blessings, and so that's how we, we articulate the difference of the Christian life. We say, well, you know, just like Wayne and Cindy, they, they, they're sorrowing as differently than people who would sorrow with no hope. And so a lot of times that's how we view the Christian life of like, yeah, I, I get these blessings and I get these benefits. That's what makes me different. But I wonder, have we considered the other side of the equation of how do we approach life? How do we view life? How do we view our time, view our possessions? How do we view our jobs even? We talked about this in the adult, adult discipleship hour. You see, if God is not in the center of that, in the foremost of that, we are flirting with what is called practical atheism, living as if there is no God or living as if we believe that there is no God. So we need to be very cautious here. And often as Christians, we are very careful to avoid the obvious, the most heinous sins. But we are way too content to live life without thought of God's will and God's plan, what he desires of us. 
Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city or such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Number two in our outline this morning is the arrogance of practical atheism. You know, we are much more ignorant than we think. James here is quick to tell us that we do not know what tomorrow will bring. It reminds us of Proverbs 27, verse 1. It says, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. There's no way that we could write ourselves into the history of our own lives. I mean, think about, think about how many decisions or, or, or places you have found yourself, or jobs, or, or even places of, of living, uh, of where you're at, and you thought, man, 10 years ago, I never would have thought that I'd be here. You know, or, man, you know, six years ago, I had this plan, and I never thought it was going to turn out this way. When, when Anouk and I got married, we had a plan of, of how we were going to expand our family, and we, we thought that we'd wait a year to have children, and then we'd have one or two biological children, and then adopt a child. That was, that was our plan that we were going to do. God had a completely different plan for us. I've talked to some parents who, when the choices of their schooling for their children, they've said, I never thought that I would be doing this with my, my, with my children. I've had uh, some people tell me that they, they never thought that they would homeschool their children, and yet here they are homeschooling their children. And then my own brother, he said, I never thought I'd have my kids in public school, but yet they're in public school and they're doing great. And so in both situations, the kids are doing great. There's so many times where we have, we have made plans that have not turned out, or we thought that we were going to be in a certain place that we just ended up in a completely different place. The point I'm making is, is that we are not sovereign over our lives. One person in writing about this text of Scripture warns against what he called self-sovereignty. Wanting to be ruler over our own lives. When we do that, it's practical atheism. And there's arrogance involved with that. Because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We can make plans, and again, James isn't against making plans here. But he is against making plans without considering the mind of God. Is that us? Is that you? I ask myself, is that me? Far too many times I catch myself making a plan and praying about it afterwards. All right, God, I got this plan in place. I hope you bless it. That's backwards. I can't tell you how many times there's a problem. You know, Mike, Mike brought up my faults in Sunday school class today. And uh, uh, he talked about how that I'm more prone to uh, working at a problem. If there's a problem, my strategy is work hard at it. If that doesn't work, work harder. If that still doesn't work, work harder. Okay, that, that's kind of how I'm wired. I don't know if I get that from, you know, genetics or whatever, but that's just how I'm wired. The problem with that, is it's very easy for someone with my disposition to totally, completely forget about God and become a practical atheist. Got a problem in front of me? Let's solve it. And then halfway through it, when it's starting to not work and everything's going crazy, it's like, oh, maybe I should pray about this. A friend of mine, he and I would often joke with one another when I would say, hey, would you pray about this? And he would say, oh, man, has it come to that? What were we doing? We were teasing each other and saying, we should have been doing this in the beginning. We should be praying in the beginning. But we make assumptions and 
about tomorrow, about our plans and where we're going to be. There's arrogance in that. There's also arrogance in the fact that we're much more fragile than we think we are. He says, what is your life? We are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Appears and vanishes are both in a, in a passive sense there. And so it's the idea that we're not even in control of appearing and then vanishing. Those are things that, that happen to us. We're very fragile. He, the, the image he uses there is a mist or some translations would say vapor. The idea is, is something that, that, that mist that's out and across the field in the early morning hours and by even before noon that's burned off and it's gone. It's only there for a short time. We're much more fragile than we think we are. Psalm 39 verse 5 says, Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. As a mere breath. Have you ever stopped to consider what a small blip on the radar of life that we really are? Even, even a long life, you know, if someone, if someone made it to 100 years old. I remember working in senior care, worked at a, a, a retirement community for three years, and um, we had a, a couple residents there, a few residents that, that crossed that 100, that 100 year mark. Okay, one resident, the oldest resident when I was there, uh, he was, I think it was 103 years old, maybe 104, and he was still driving, uh, he, was, he was getting around, you know, and he, was, and he was a decent driver, okay, I know what you're all thinking, <laughs> you know, but, uh, um, and, you know, he, would, he, would, he had a cane and that was it, you know, I mean, he, 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 104, 103 years old, whatever it was, we'd play pool together, and uh, uh, he would beat me every time, and and I remember just talking to him about his life, and, and, and he'd spent almost all 100 years in the same city. Um, and I just asked him, how did the city change and things like that? Then I remember one time I asked him, I said, you know, how fast has your life gone by? And he's like, it just seems like it's been so fast. 100 and some years. In a blink of an eye. And if you look at the whole course of life and the whole course of history, we're really just a, an insignificant blip on the radar. We're fragile. But God has given us that blip. God has given that to us to be used for a very specific purpose. And he's the one that's causing you to appear. And he's the one that will cause you to vanish. So shouldn't we use it for his glory? Shouldn't those decisions that we make while we're that mist on this earth, while we're the vapor on this earth, shouldn't it be used with him in mind and with him driving our decisions and with everything for his purpose? Because he's the one that brought us here. He's the one that has our time measured out. I think so. But we're so quick to view our life as more than a vapor. It's almost like we are so concerned and consumed about our own lives that we think we're much more important than we are much more strong than we are. James is saying, look at the, look at the insignificance of your life. Look at how, how, how you're just a mist that appears in just a little time and then vanishes. We're much more fragile. Now, this idea here of the, uh, when he uses later on in verse 16, he says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. This is how I know that there's arrogance in this text here. It's because it says it. He says, um, pretty simple. He, uh, he, I'm not, I'm not a rocket scientist. Okay. <laughs> you know, um, and so, but the word arrogance there is the same word that John uses in first John is translated as a pride of life. Remember the passage in first John two, it says, you know, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Those are the temptations. 
Those are the things that we all struggle with. Pride of life here. This arrogance here that is, that is consuming us about our own lives. And there's arrogance in this. If we do not use our lives or have God as first and foremost in our lives, or he dictates our plans. Now, Jerry Bridges, in his book called Respectable Sins, and I encourage you to read this book. It's an incredible book. Read it a few times. Um, actually, our, our Tuesday night uh, small group went through it a year or so ago. And uh, it, was, it was a good study. But in his book, he calls this notion of what I'm calling practical atheism here, he calls it ungodliness. And he makes a distinction between ungodliness and unrighteousness. And he bases it from Romans where Paul seems to make the distinction. And here's the distinction. Unrighteousness are those acts that we do that are morally wrong. Ungodliness is acting as if there is no God or not including God in our plans. He says this, he defines ungodliness this way. He says, ungodliness may be defined as living one's everyday life with little or no thought of God or of God's will or of God's glory or of one's dependence on God. He goes on to say, the sad fact is that many of us who are believers tend to live our daily lives with little or no thought of God. We may even read our Bibles and pray for a few minutes at the beginning of each day, but then we go out into the day's activities and basically live as though God does not exist. It's ungodly living. It's practical atheism. And I believe that this is what James is getting at here. And the reason why I know this is because verse 15, he says, instead, he's condemned all this. He says, this is what you should be doing. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Again, he's not condemning making plans. But he's saying it needs to be submitted to the Father and to God's will. So this gives us our third and final point this morning, the answer to practical atheism. We must live in submission to God's plans. It says, if, if the Lord wills, we should be constantly be asking God, what is it that you'd have me to do? And there's a lot of times that we already know the answer to that question. We know what God wants us to do. It's just a matter of taking our actions and submitting them to that or, to, or making that the, the motivating factor to it. So, for instance, we don't have to ask, most of us have to ask, do I need to work for a living? Do I need to have a job? We know that mo- for most of us in this room, it is God's will that we have a job, okay? Or that, that we have to earn money for our families. For, the, for, for us men in the room, we have very clear instructions about that. So we don't need to wonder about that. But what we do need to wonder about, am I using that job for the glory of God? Am I satisfied in that job because I am using it to please God? I'm using it to serve God. Some of you, you don't have to wonder, do you need to go to school tomorrow? Or do you need to have studies tomorrow? If you're a student, you know that's God's plan for you right now. So you don't have to wonder about that. But are you going to school looking to be a better servant of Jesus Christ? Looking for opportunities to point others to Jesus Christ? If you're homeschooled, do you go to your studies thinking, I need to get smarter, I need to get wiser, so then I can use what I have to serve God with my life? Do you see the difference between the two? One is completely devoid of God. The other one has him as the motivating factor of life circumstance. So whatever you do, do heartily as to the Lord and not to men, like Colossians says. So James is not advocating like a superstitious incantation at the end of every sentence. We don't need to say, you know, hey, it's good to see you if the Lord wills. <laughs> or, 
yeah, yeah, let's, let, let's have lunch together if the Lord wills. You're like almost like this, this, that's the magic formula. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that all of our heart's disposition needs to be submitted to the plan of the Father, saying, yes, I want to do that, and if the Lord directs me otherwise, then we'll do something different. And if this will please God, then I'd be happy to do that. James is advocating a sincere appreciation for God's control over all things. James is advocating a sincere appreciation for God's plan for our lives. He's advocating a humble dependence on God. I think of Abraham Cooper, and Mike reminded me of this quote. He says that there is not a square inch of the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ does not cry, mine. Every part of our lives falls under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Our jobs, our families, our vacations, our entertainment, our retirement, our schools, everything should be under the lordship of Jesus Christ. So we must live in submission to God's plan. We must live in obedience to God's revelation. This is where verse 17 kind of comes in. It almost seems a little disjointed. But really, this is kind of a summary statement, or it's a, it's a, a maxim to live by that James is inserting in here. And it, 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 it seems some people think this might have been like a common saying that was popular among Christians at this time, that James then puts it in here and says, okay, you've been warned. So whoever knows the right thing to do but fails to do it for him it is sin. And so we know that it's wrong to live life as if we are practical atheists. We know it's wrong to, to live in such a way that keeps God out of our thoughts and out of our affections. And for us to do that is sin. It's wrong. So basically what James is saying is, okay, you've been warned. Now to disobey is sin. So you need to ask yourself this question in conclusion. Do you make your decisions in humble dependence of God? So we need, what we need to do is we need to consider Jesus' submission to the Father here. Because he's our supreme example here. This is how we know how we can live and how we can do this is through Jesus and our union with him. For he had eternity in mind, not just his 33 years on this earth. And I think that that's a governing principle for us to, if we want to shed practical atheism, if we say, okay, there's, there's assumptions of practical atheism, there's arrogance of practical atheism, I don't want to do that. How do I shed this from my heart? Here's one of the ways I think is most important, is that we need to live life, this life, with eternity in view, rather than just this life in view. See, that's why Jesus, he was able to live obediently. That was the reason why he, he lived perfectly in this life, is because he always had eternity, he always had the Father's plan in mind. He was not just consumed about the 33-ish whatever years he had on this earth. He knew that there was something bigger. He knew that that time on earth was only a precursor to the greater plan. And our lives here on this earth, however long God has us on this earth, is just a precursor to eternity. And so if we live life with eternity in mind, many things start making much more sense. An author I read said this, the commands of our Lord make more sense if we have forever in view. The grace of our Lord only makes sense if you have forever in view. The promises of our Lord only make sense if you have forever in view. The kingdom call to service to God only makes sense if you have forever in view. And stewardship only makes sense if you have forever in view. Sacrifice only makes sense if you have eternity in view. Holiness only makes sense. If you have forever in view. 
the author went on to say, it is dangerous to forget forever. And if there is none, if there is no forever, then all I want is I want all the control I can get so I can acquire all that I can acquire in this life. My friend, that's the difference between someone in Christ and someone who's not in Christ. For someone who is not in Christ, this is it. It is my party. I'll cry if I want to. I will gather as much as I can gather. I will do as much as I can do because this is it. When I die, it's done. But for the person who is in Christ, this life is a vapor. Mist. For my eternal state with Jesus. If I live this life knowing that God is directing this and that he is going to, I'm going to use everything I have for him. Because that's eternity. It doesn't end when I die. Forever. You have that in view each day. So I, I end with this. To forget God in our planning or in our decisions is no small error. In this text, James calls it evil, arrogant, and sin. Sunday has been traditionally called the Lord's Day. But you know what? Monday through Saturday are his as well. Do we live in that reality? Or, when most people think that 10 to noon on Sunday are God's, but the rest of the week is mine. That would be practical atheism. And I encourage you to run from that. All of your life is God's. And he deserves all of it. And here's the thing. You will only be satisfied when God has all of you. So this week, when you go to work, do it for God. When you're planning your vacations this summer, and do it. We need vacations. But do it for God. Have God involved in all your planning and all of your decisions in life. And avoid this play called practical atheism. Let's pray. Father, this text is hard to teach sometimes. I see in my own heart a disposition towards ignoring you. We can even do spiritual things without consulting you, without depending on you, without doing it for your honor. We can tell people about Christ. We can defend theological truth, but not for your honor for the sake of winning an argument and being right. There's no deity in that. There's no theism in that. That is simply my kingdom that I'm trying to defend. Forgive us for that, Father. I pray that you would convict in our own souls areas of where practical atheism may creep up. I pray that we would repent of that that we would remember that without Christ, we are nothing. The breath that we breathe is a gift from God. The life that we have right now is a gift from you. May we live in such a way. 
So we worship you. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.